day, if you go to the cinema and the guy next to you turns on his mobile phone and the light shines <laughs> and you miss a line, that's it. That setup's gone. You missed the setup. Yeah. And now the film might not make sense anymore. Um, the popcorn sounds. Uh, the, just the... the the heat and the uh, whatever. Jeez, someone's not a fan of the cinema. No, anymore. Um, but all the people that go. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You can get distracted very easily, and uh, and also uh, bad viewing habits can make you easily distracted. If you watch lots of uh, very sort of shallow work, you're not used to giving your full attention to something, yeah. right? So uh, that that's not necessarily. I'm not trying to say necessarily blame people who missed stuff. Because as you're going to find out, Luke and I missed a bunch of things. Yeah. It's not. It's not. This it's is not. Why, this yeah. Is this what's... is not us just kind of like going. Oh, people are just too dumb to realize. It's like no, no, no. We missed stuff too. Us missing because you can get distracted. Yeah. Us missing stuff is why we're doing the second podcast. Yes. This is what made us realize. Oh, this work actually is dense because. Yeah. Man, did I enjoy that second yeah. viewing? Because there's just all this stuff that happens yeah. in the first time. Exactly. Around. Um. And Lines, like motivation for characters. Right. Reasons. And that's what density means of work. It's it, you can't. It demands more attention, and you can't turn away. Hello, and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim Elkeel, co-author of Action: The Art of Excitement, with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Return of the Last Jedi. Yes, and as always, if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter at the Story Toolkit and the website the Story Toolkit at Oh, fifth takes the charm. It is. Uh, so yeah, we're doing the Last Jedi a second time because we both saw the film a second time each, and we both came out with a enjoying it even more, much yeah, more. It was the because we both came out with the same uh, the same reaction to it. In that we've started noticing all this stuff that we didn't see the first time around. Yes. Um, we felt it actually actually warranted a second glance because we're going to go into some uh, yeah some nuts and bolts of actually a, uh, a couple of the reasons why this is re- why this film works so well. Yeah, and also uh, if you remember in the other podcast, I mentioned that at no point in the film did I ever kind of really go, uh, oh yeah, it's not going to be terrible. I kept expecting it to become bad. Well, because I knew it wouldn't be this time round, I actually, I, I think I enjoyed it a lot more uh, because I knew it wasn't going to go you wrong. Could, you could relax. I could relax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we both enjoyed it a lot more. And uh, it, we, there were things that we missed and things that it seems... Because you know. by the way, when we saw the film, we didn't know anything about the film. We did our podcast not knowing anything. And since then, we've read up people's opinions and views and all this stuff. And there's a whole bunch of sort of things that people think are plot holes that aren't plot holes at all they're specifically stated and we're going to talk about why these things get missed we're going to talk about the nature of dense storytelling but what we're not going to do is we're not going to sort of uh, rebut and dignify this mind-numbing pedantry no matter how much i desperately want to yeah i really do i'm not gonna bother <laughs> but uh, yeah we're trying to um keep objective and, and look at it in the uh with our story hats on yeah because there's a reason that people are coming out saying well why is it why does this happen yeah. why is this plot hole in it etc yeah. what um, yeah so we get, we're gonna the, talk about the why's not necessarily just point by point rebuttal of each no um, stupid criticism yeah. ah, that's not objective i apologize <laughs> 
But it is stupid. It is very annoying. Um, it's very annoying. Uh, people getting upset that BB-8 saying, I have a I bad was... feeling about this, doesn't count as it being in the film, and therefore the film doesn't really count as a Star Wars film. Like, I just, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered to get down to that. You know what the best... Um, I, I, for this movie has brought about, for me, one of the um, um, best... Uh, what's the opposite of a criticism? I don't know the word. I'm not used to it. The opposite of criticism? <laughs> One point where somebody... Uh, oh, oh, I'm losing the Go will on. to live and form on. sentences. Right. One of the stupidest criticisms yeah. of anything I've ever read has come about with this movie, but also a point that I didn't realise, but it's just so gloriously wonderful, yeah. has also come about from the same movie, both involving droids. First, I'm going to get this out now because I'm going to be... This, is this the point you wanted to mention off mic? Uh, no, probably not. I can't remember what that was. That'll okay, you said you wanted to make a point about the pedantry. Oh, no, 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 no. that'll come in a minute. Okay, go on. Let's, <laughs> let's get all this done. Yeah. Let's do it. But I wanted to get my, li- my Let's get the droids and then the second one. Get the let's droids do it. Out I want to hear these. Okay. Well, no, the, you know the first one. Oh, do I, I? I have read a point-by-point criticism of why it's a terrible movie, and <laughs> this list is 26 points long, <laughs> and each is more pedantic than the last. Yeah. But one of, the bit where I just checked out completely was where somebody said, why? Why does BB-8 pilot the... Um, ATST. The ATST at the end? Like, it makes no sense. I'm like, if you can't take a simple joy... And a little droid piloting an enormous death machine. Especially when he was expecting it to be DJ. Yeah, doing his right. Like, heroic return, and it's not. It's BB-8. Like it's just if you don't, it's oh, wonderful. Dude. But it's it's such a stupid criticism, and that yeah. that's okay. Expunged. That's <laughs> okay. out there now. I'll be objective. Okay. Uh, but what a point which uh, somebody else noticed that I hadn't was that um, I think Luke tells R2 to watch his language. Yes. Yeah, and they're like, think about what that means. R2-D2 swears. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I just loved it. But it all feeds it, that that feeds into the the point, uh, one of the points we're making today about Ryan Johnson and and just how rich The Last Jedi actually is. Yeah, Uh, and again, to to specify what we mean by pedantry... um, because we're not going to talk about these ones really um there's a difference between pedantry and sort of internally consistent logic yeah um when people nitpick at something it's a problem if the story says things work like x and then later on they just change how it works that is not pedantry to point out that inconsistency okay uh, particularly if it's a key plot point that gets to, to be used to get out of trouble, not to get into trouble. So, for example, uh, two time travel films, Back to the Future, they change how time works so that they have to deal with going back to 1955 to fix things and all that stuff, yeah. and how time will Im- Im- instantly change around them when they fix it, when in fact already earlier we didn't see, we saw, do you remember how this works? That uh, Doc Brown is explaining to Marty that if they go back to 1955 and stop Biff from getting the sports almanac, um, it'll change the past back to how it should be. Mm-hmm. And Marty says, what about Jennifer and Einstein? We can't leave them here in this hellish 1985. And he goes, don't worry, as soon as we change the past, the present will immediately change around them. They won't notice. Yeah. However, in the future, in 2015, when Biff goes back in time and takes the sports almanac and changes the past, 2015 doesn't change. Right. So there's an inconsistency there. But guess what? You didn't know that rule until afterwards. 
right? Yeah. So there's a sort of pedantry there to bring that up because while it's internally consistent, they're not using it to get out of a story. They're using it to make the story work, mm. okay? Uh, so that's not pedantry, okay? However, um, pedantry is more why don't bombs fall in... Why do bombs fall in space? Why do the missiles This arc? is the most... Why is there sound in space? Why... No, 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 no. This kind sound of is the counterpoint. No, I know, but th- that's the kind of pedantry. Oh, right, why is there sound? It's, like, it's not... It's the film isn't resting on these points. The no. film isn't going like, oh, it's the arc of the missile that's key and all this stuff. These are sort of just very pedantic things to show off that you read something by Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, this is essentially what that that guy's like, you know. Of course, to- that that whole satire of him watching Toy Story, then turning around to the camera, and going, "Of course, toys can't do that." <laughs> you know, it's that kind of nonsense. Like we all know. It's it, my issue with it is that it's it, it's. Um... Uh, it's applying real-world uh, logic and physics to a, a movie about space wizards. Yeah, there's just no point for it. There's mm. no point to it. it. Doesn't There's no enrichment if the missiles go straight. There's nothing... So the point anyway. is, anyway. Inter- internally consistent and you're okay. Yeah, exactly. Pedantry is just Can going, I just ask one question? It should be consistent with another standard or whatever. Oh, I, it's like, why? I just want to ask one question because I know somebody might... Think of this point, and I want to hear your answer to it. Yeah, uh, here we can phrase it this way, by the way. Pedantry is saying it should be externally consistent. Okay. Right. Yeah. It should be internally, not external. Um, in that sense. Leia. What about Leia? And her Mary Poppins. What about it? Um, we've never seen her use the Force before. No, but we know she's strong in the Force. Okay. Which is why it's internally consistent. Oh yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. That that. That was the answer I, uh, I imagined it was in my head. Yeah. Because I'm totally fine with it. But the... Um, uh, and by the way, if you haven't seen the movie yet, spoilers. Um, throughout the podcast. Yeah. Normally you mention it. That's your fault. Sorry. Um, but that moment, I, I likened it to the South Park thing with Britney Spears. You're either on the uh, train or you're off you're the train. You're on the train or you're off the train. There's a Britney Spears episode of South Park you know, yeah. where she, she tries to kill herself, half her head's blown off, and yeah. she continues. And the only noises she then makes for the rest of the episode are... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and when when um, Parker and Stone were doing their... They do little th- three, four-minute commentaries on their episodes, which are in, in, just wonderful. Mm. They said this is the moment where you're on the train or you're off the train. Like mm. You either enjoy the episode after that or you're just not invested yeah, in it. Exactly. And for me, the Mary Poppins moment was probably it for Last yeah. Jedi. If, if you're on board at that point, like the rest of the movie is... I, I, but the thing is, Pete, some, I don't know. I mean, because, it's so, because it's such a big leap. It is. And the thing is, it, there's this thing about some people, you know, they're on the train just so they can derail it. <laughs> um, there, there, I've, I, as I say I made no no um, qualms about this when we did our Batman v Superman podcast I, after Batman v Superman I'm like I'm just done with it with with the sort of communities and stuff yeah. uh, with critics and things like that because so much of the time is people sort of just boarding the train just to derail it uh, and that's why we don't necessarily get good things and you know as I say we are, we're not this is this is it now we're, we're done with pedantry because as I said uh, and and, uh, and for your own sanity people who read through pedants criticisms and stuff I've been doing it relentlessly yeah for, the last for your own sanity just stop when it comes to fantasy the the line is pretty clear if the criticism is attacking the internal consistent an internally consistent one and the story is not being internally consistent and they're using that inconsistency to get out of a story 
that's a failure of the writing. Okay? You see what I mean? You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. The story's internally consistent until they need to get out of the story. That's cheating. However, when you take a fantasy story and demand it's externally consistent to whatever science journal you read or whatever, it's a fantasy story. It's not meant to be consistent with the actual world in that way. Um, and so therefore what you're trying to do is you're trying to use that to undermine the story. But then it's like, well, you can't tell it. I mean, that's not the case, say, for with a historical biopic or whatever. But I'm talking about specifically with fantasy. People with historical biopics and stuff... Um, often the pedant it's not pedantry it's saying that the historical biopic isn't following reality and therefore it's lying yeah right so do you see what i'm trying to i'm just trying to address that just for people's sanity when you're reading notes <laughs> and criticisms and stuff because if you're writing fantasy you're writing historical you need to be able to digest people's notes yeah and sometimes people are wrong and sometimes people are right and sometimes people just aren't your audience they're not going to want to enjoy it and so, therefore, you're trying to read their notes effectively to make your work better, not to just destroy it. And so it's always useful. I mean, if, you're, if you've got readers, it's great when you have a, someone you really care about and respect and they just don't even like the premise of your story. Because that means, hey, it doesn't mean you throw out the premise. It just means, okay, great, I, maybe I can't get that person. Yeah. And so you're getting that sort of thick skin of criticism. You know how to deal with it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it, that's that's why I'm trying to understand, trying to define what I mean by this sort of concept of, I don't these pedants. You know, you've been reading up on lots of them. I once I see it, I just sort of tune out because I'm just like, there's no point. I can't look away. Yeah, I'm bored of it. Uh, <laughs> I used to be one. <laughs> I'm bored of it. Okay. Anyway, let's, um, so let's, let's get, get into, into this it. sort of dense storytelling that Ryan Johnson does. Now, Johnson, for those of you who aren't aware, he did a film called Brick. He did a film called The Brothers Bloom, and he did another film called Looper. I never saw The Brothers Bloom. I have it. We're going to watch them at okay. some point. Anyway. Brick is wonderful. Brick is wonderful. And all of his films, you kind of need to watch a second time to really get. Uh, a bit like the Coen brothers. And it's because his work is dense. And what that means is when a work is really dense, it simply means this. every Everything on screen has layers and if you look, lapse in concentration, so it demands your concentration, first of all, a lot of it. And if you lapse, you can miss a setup. And if you miss that setup, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. It's not because the setup's not in there. It's simply because maybe you got distracted. You thought about something else. You looked away, whatever. And in the cinema, guess what you can't do? You can't pause it and rewind it. Right? So... If you go into the cinema, particularly today, by the way, particularly today, if you go to the cinema and the guy next to you turns on his mobile phone and the light shines <laughs> and you miss a line, that's it. That setup's gone. You missed the setup. Yeah. And now the film might not make sense anymore. <clears throat> um, the popcorn sounds. Uh, the, just the, the, the heat and the... Uh, whatever. Someone's not a fan of the cinema. No, not anymore. Um, but... <laughs> All the people that go. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You can get distracted very easily. And uh, and also, uh, bad viewing habits can make you easily distracted. If you watch lots of uh, very sort of shallow work, you're not used to giving your full attention to something. Yeah. Right? So uh, that that's not necessarily... I'm not trying to say necessarily blame people who miss stuff. 
because as you're going to find out, Luke and I missed a bunch of things. Yeah. It's not. It's not. This it's is not, why. This yeah. Is this what, is not us just kind of like going. Oh, people are just too dumb to realize. It's like no, no, no. We missed stuff too. Us missing because you can get distracted. Yeah. Us missing stuff is why we're doing the second podcast. Yes. This is what made us realize. Oh, this work actually is dense because. Yeah. Man, did I enjoy that second yeah. viewing? Because there's just all this stuff that happens yeah. in the first time exactly. around. Exactly. Um, and Lines, like motivation for characters, right? Reasons. And that's what density means of work. It's it, you can't. It demands more attention, and you can't turn away. Right, and that's why there's this sense of when it's done, you have to take a break. Hmm. It's very hard, for example, to binge watch first time round really dense shows. I can't binge watch The Crown. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it but I it take I watch one episode a day I can't really watch more than one because there's just too much going on it's just too dense <laughs> I can't I can't do it The Wire is very hard to binge watch the very first time you do it you literally seclude yourself off that's a perfect I've just uh, yesterday we f- finished re-watching uh, season one of The Wire um, after our podcast on it a couple yeah. of weeks ago I was desperate to watch it again and we 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 binged it the first time, and, and we're binging it again this time. But I realise now the fault with binging it the first time is all this stuff we missed. Yeah, you missed like, so much. Yeah, all these- unless uh, unless you uh, when I watched it the first time, it was what two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. So I had nothing on. Nothing's really changed. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I tell that story of me watching the fourth season of The Wire in my underwear eating Doritos at four in the morning. It's like, there's nothing interrupting me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so I can just, I can watch this and devote all my attention to it. I've got nothing else. Now, of course, I'm an emotional wreck. I can't focus on a, on anything for more than 20 minutes without just breaking down. That's not possible. So, you know. Um, so, obviously, now, as you get older, you have more responsibilities and so forth. It's just easier to lose focus. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, and when you have something really dense like that, you can use it. Uh, I saw an interview with um, uh, Anderson Cooper. I think it is. He's a, I think he's the host of CNN. And he was on Stephen Colbert and he talked about how he walked out of The Last Jedi about 45 minutes in. And the reason he walked out, he said, I was just too distracted. I couldn't give it the attention it was deserving. Now, maybe that was his polite way of saying it. But I thought, yeah, I get that. Yeah, uh, that's the reason why I have so many unwatched DVDs and things. It's like I haven't got the time to devote to this thing that I know it deserves, so I'm not going to watch it and until. That's I... why you haven't read the Lies of Love Memoria yet. Exactly. I understand. So that's that's what happens, right? So, so as I'm saying, it's not actually a criticism of uh, audiences. It is a criticism of audiences if you take your lack of focus out on the filmmaker. Yeah. So I don't know how Ryan Johnson was supposed to know that you wanted to do your ironing while you're watching The Last Jedi. So, yeah. so it's not so, really his fault that you weren't paying attention. We came up with a list of um, uh, criticism, uh, not criticism, well, plot holes that people think they noticed in the movie. Yeah, there's certain things, there's certain plot holes. Like, okay, in our in our other Last Jedi podcast, we point out that we don't know how Ray again, spoilers. Ray, after the battle with Snoke, ends up on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. We didn't know how she got there. We were like, that seems like a plot hole. That seems like there's a scene missing, blah. Both of us, when we watched it the second time, immediately when when Kylo Ren wakes up and Huck, the first thing Huck says to him is, Ray got, took a transport and got back on the Millennium Falcon. Like, he immediately tells you yeah. how she ended up on the Falcon. We both missed it. Yeah. Both missed it. Completely. When, um, when, um, 
when she shows up on the Falcon, we both, I remember in the cinema, we both looked at her and went, how did you get there? Yeah. It's like, well, it's because that happened. You know, so Hux told you how it's your fault. It's not Ryan Johnson's fault. How did what, we miss I, it? Well, because we what, just we just lost focus for a split second. I, yeah, I was I was just trying to work out actually what was happening at that moment that would pull our focus. I know what's pulling mine. What was it? I was thinking I was rewriting the Force Awakens in my head, <laughs> thinking this is ha- where where would you where if you uh, literally in my head thinking when Last Jedi comes out on DVD, I should get the Force Awakens and edit a version of the film together, where would I end the film? Oh, and I'm like, I oh, I think it would This it would be just before this scene or something like that. Right. Okay, I, I remember that that was my thought process. And, oh, guess what? I missed Hux explaining a thing. Right. I think, I think I got caught up in Hux thinking about trying to kill Ren. Oh, yeah, that's... And then he wakes up yeah. and I think I was too busy going, See, I can't, oh, man. I can't, cool I can't call him Ren because I just think of, Steampy, you idiot. I have to call him Kylo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're you're right. That scene, you think what Hux is about to do is Hux about to get killed. What's going to go on? Yeah, you're not. You you might miss it. Yeah, and we both did. But he does explain it. So that's one one of the. That's what we mean by uh, these things, which are explained but you miss. Um, right. So okay, why is Ray strong in the Force? Oh yeah. So this is explained in the film um, twice. Snoke explicitly tells Ray. That the reason she's so powerful is not because of her parents or anything like that. Uh, it's because as Kylo Ren grew in power, his equivalent from the light had to rise up. That something had to be a balance. And Snoke presumed it would be Luke Skywalker. He didn't think it would be Rey. Okay? But it turns out it's Rey. That's why she's so strong, why she's getting stronger and she's not trained. Okay, that's that's the thing, and it also explains why the first film is called The Force Awakens, right? Because it awakens Rey, and um, uh, also Luke Skywalker reaffirms this when he says to her, uh, "I've only seen uh, raw power like this once before in Ben Solo. Uh, it didn't scare me enough then; it does now." Um, and so. Ray, uh, that's why Ray is so powerful. People go like, "How come she's so powerful? How come she doesn't have to train? How come this? How come that? Uh, she's a Mary Sue, blah blah blah." So, and it's like, I think, uh, you know, her lifting all those rocks is a bit much. I think her beating Kylo Ren in the forest is a bit much. Um, but Snoke explains why she was able to beat Kylo Ren in the forest because um, uh, he was split in two from killing Han, so his focus wasn't in it. Uh, and also uh, the f- whole concept of her being able to lift rocks is sort of explained as the idea that lifting rocks isn't what the force is about and it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's not what the force is. So uh, the, so on the one hand, you know, um, I think it maybe was, I think she's pushed a little too much in terms of power. But at the same time, it is explained why she is yeah. the, as powerful as she is. It's not like the film doesn't get it. The film does get it. The film explains it in two lines of dialogue very clearly. Um, and you might miss it because you're too busy wondering who's Ray's parents are. Um, what else? Holdo's plan. Oh, yeah, Holdo's plan. Uh, okay. After watching Last Jedi a second time, I've come to the conclusion that Poe Dameron is my favourite character. He's brilliant. In Star Wars. There's, for me, there's just no one as cool as Poe. He's, po. he's also, I think, dimensionless in Force Awakens. 
Oh yeah, he has none. Yeah. Yeah, he's totally he's just a cool pilot. Yeah. But in this one, he's a cool pilot and but also he is a terrible soldier. <laughs> he's terrible. And Holdo, I adore Holdo. Yeah. Um I saw a fa- uh, like a fan criticism thing saying uh it would have been nice if instead of Holdo it was Admiral Akbar. And on the one hand, so this was when I read that, I thought, you know what, that is a nice point. Admiral Akbar is a pretty cool it's fan favorite character. It's an example of the good nostalgia that. Yeah, it's actually not a bad idea, Admiral Akbar being instead of Holdo, and you have all those scenes, and Akbar does the ultimate sacrifice, and when he says goodbye to Leia, it means more. Like that's really cool. But then I thought to myself, ah, but can you make that work? Because he's just so silly, right? <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what, maybe you can. You know, and I, I was thinking if I was Ryan Johnson and that idea came to me somehow, I would test it, do some test footage, just test it, see if you could get those lines out of Akbar's mouth and make them work. And then I watched Last Jedi a second time and he has two lines in the film and he's hilarious. He's just, you can't take him seriously. <laughs> no, sorry. No, there's no way he can work as a character. He just doesn't. Last Jedi did him and, they, and Last Jedi had Ewoks to distract you from how stupid... Akbar is, but Akbar is a meme. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Return of the Jedi. The other Jedi that fell. <laughs> yeah, Return of the Jedi. Akbar becomes a meme, right? He's yeah. just he's he's just too silly, so he couldn't pull up. But anyway, Holdo, I adore Holdo. I think Holdo is an amazing character, and I'm kind of annoyed uh, that Holdo and Leia haven't switched. But then I guess they didn't know Carrie Fisher wouldn't live. What you- I mean, it's really unfortunate, right? But like, you, that's what you wish, right? Holdo was alive for Episode Nine. What you get in. Um... This on the second viewing was all the subtext to hold those lines because she knows really she knows what she's doing. Right, she knows exactly what's going on, and this gets to that point, which was people complained. Why doesn't Holdo just tell Poe what's going on? Right, and uh, the be- the brilliant thing I love about this, I was watching it the second time, and it became very clear to me. I was thinking, when does Holdo tell Poe? When she first meets him, remember the first thing she does is she dresses him down. You're just a captain. Shut up. Do what I tell you. Yeah. Right. When does she tell him what her plan is? And I realized this. If she tells him the plan, everyone dies. Poe gets everybody killed. Because of the way he would act. Because of how Poe is. That character, it would not listen. The only reason when he's in the transport and he turns to Leia and Leia explains the plan and he goes, that could work, is his plan has failed. He's almost got everyone killed. He's in trouble for mutiny, and the plan is working, right? That's why he's accepting it. If at some other point, Holdo says to Poe, hey, Poe, this is my plan. Here's what what Poe does. Poe trusts her, Holdo, right? He goes to Holdo and he says, Holdo, I've got this plan. I've talked to Maz Kanata. We should go get the Codebreaker, do this, do the big damn hero thing. And she goes, that's ridiculous. We're not trusting everything to bad odds. Poe goes, fine, let's have a mutiny. But now Poe knows what her plan is. She doesn't get to fuel the ships. She doesn't get to do this. She doesn't get to do that. He does all those things and they all die. That's what happens because as soon as he knows what the plan is, he'll sabotage the plan. Bearing in mind, Poe does a full-on mutiny when he doesn't get his way. That doesn't change just because he knows what her plan is. Because the point is he doesn't trust that plan because the character of Poe Dameron doesn't get that being a, a martyr is not as important as being a leader almost he, do, he doesn't get it 
And that's why I said, you, we're talking about dimension, right? Yeah. He has a dimension now. He is the best pilot in the fleet. He is the worst soldier in the fleet. He will get everyone killed. He's totally loyal, totally treacherous and mutinous. Such a great character. He's an amazing when character. It, when you put it down like that. To the He's brilliant, right? Wonderful. And you love him because now you go, geez, what will this guy do? Right? He, he can surprise you now. Yeah. Because uh, one of my favorite things when he does the mutiny, it's completely in character. Yeah. He does it. Holdo knows he, he's capable of it. What I love is Holdo gets this. Holdo completely understands Poe. She sees right through him immediately. Right? Leia is very trusting of him. But she's like she has faith in Poe. Which is why I love when Leia shoots him. She's <laughs> so disappointed in him. You can tell, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course, in Poe's head, he's doing it for Leia. Right? <laughs> I love this. But Holdo sees right through him. And Holdo forgives him. She likes him. Yeah. It's like she doesn't trust him, but she likes him. She's like he, he's really great. He's a tough, tough cookie, but he needs to understand his place, which is why she can't. She can't. I mean, if she deferred to him, it just plays into his ego. He's so arrogant, right? So Holdo's character sees right through him. He does the mutiny. She knew she was. He's gonna. She could tell. Like when he does it, she hopes he won't, but he does it, and it's like, yeah, I'm not surprised that he did this. And I love when Poe realizes that he did it all wrong, and he they get caught. Yeah. It's like, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Like, you, the audience think they're going to pull it off. They're going to do the big damn hero thing. And he totally messes it up. And it all goes horribly wrong. And that's when Poe sees his arrogance and his uh, his his um, mutinous nature for what it is. I just, I think that's great. And Holdo gets it. It's not, um, it's and it's something that you might miss the first time. Because one, you don't know where the story's going. Yeah. And two, so much of this is in the subtext. And something like Star Wars is not really about subtext. Normally you don't get. I mean, look, I love I love Mark Hamill. I, I really do. I love that guy. Harrison Ford's wonderful. Carrie Fisher's wonderful. But ha- Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher from 1977 are not the actors they are today. Yeah. Okay. And those actors back then, with George Lucas's writing, really the only main they had two major actors in that plot in that film: Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness. Subtext is not something Star Wars is renowned for. Right, but now you're getting people like Oscar Isaac and Laura Dern. Oscar Isaac carried the whole of Inside Llewellyn Davis. Right, that's where I know him from. Oh jeez, <laughs> he carried that entire film, a Coen Brothers minimalism God film. Damn. Right, these are top, top actors yeah. performing these roles. They can't help but put some great subtext in there, and you can miss it because not because people are insensitive to it. It's because you wouldn't expect it necessarily. I was going to make this point earlier, actually. You expect about... Holdo and Poe to be very black and white, and yeah. they're not. I, I was going to make this point earlier, whether, you know, the uh, one of the things working against this movie, it's the eighth in the franchise. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, in this set, of course, yeah. you've got Rogue One as well. But, yes. Um, uh, and the Star Wars Christmas It's episode movie. eight. And the you Christmas could... movie. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas yeah. special. And Caravan of Courage, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's, the it's, point is, it's episode eight, and yeah. it's the second in a trilogy. Yeah, but it's the first to be this rich, right? This dense. Yeah, I would think so. I don't think Empire's as dense as this. No, um, and Empire's very, very high quality work. Yeah, very high quality work. I, I made a tweet the other day that my, my for me the top three Star Wars films are Rogue One, Empire, and Last Jedi. Yeah, like I love Last Jedi, and one of the reasons is Poe. Uh, I think he's just a superb character. And he's not, he's not like any of the other characters in Star Wars. No, he's not. 
He's not just... Uh, and we're, we're lucky, because originally he died in Force Awakens. And um, Oscar Isaac, at the time he was cast and filming it, was a nobody, as far as I can tell. He wasn't really well known. Uh, did he die in the TIE Fighter crash? He died in the TIE Fighter crash. And then he did Inside Llewellyn Davis. He got cast as Apocalypse. His star was rising, and they have him on contract. So J.J. Abrams is like, let's bring him back. And he brought him back. And uh, we're lucky, because we got one of the best characters in the franchise, in my opinion. But anyway, and we got Holdo out of it. I, just, oh, I, can't, I can't get enough of all this. She's um, amazing. Let's push on because I'm conscious of the time. Um, yes, as always. Um, the time sink. Uh, okay, yeah. This is this is uh, an interesting one um, because uh, there's a, there's they have 18 hours in the fleet running away from the Empire, and some people were saying that the time sink isn't appropriate. That, that Ray spends too long on the planet compared to how long they're traveling for. But in actual fact, they only mentioned the 18 hour deadline. Um, at one point when they're going to Canto Bight and that's when you start getting specific numbers of how long they have left and once they do that Rey is either just had or is about to have her dawn training and the next night scene on Ark 2 is her leaving Luke so she is once they say you have 18 hours Rey's on the planet for 18 hours it completely sinks up uh, time wise I, I specifically paid attention the second time around so they actually bothered to make sure that the timeline does fit, which is another form of uh, just really considered filmmaking. Yeah, that's something that you could easily get away yeah. with, right? Yeah. It, uh, for with example, an audience that they, wasn't a Star Wars fan base, of course. Yeah, uh, like, well, not only that, like, you get away with... They get away with the ridiculous um, how fast the speeders travel on the ground versus how fast people can walk that same distance. Right? The ba- Battle Planet crate at the end... When they're charging at the mini Death Star, yeah, they're in those speeders. They're traveling for, oh yeah, I don't know how far, <laughs> and then somehow right at the edge of it, um, Finn can walk back in a few minutes. Yeah, what they did that in in Endor in Return of the Jedi as well. Oh, did they? Yeah, the speeders through the forest. They're going for how long? How many? Tra- how many for like miles? Yeah, yeah, they're not that far apart. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you do just because it's. Uh, because it it's, would be it's, boring otherwise. Yeah, it's good filmmaking. Yeah. You're not you're not letting um, you're not letting the you're you're not letting mundanity get in the way of excitement. Yeah. So it's it, it's great. It's it, obstacles are fine provided they make it more exciting. Obstacles that just make it boring are not smart choices. So um, but they they synced up the time perfectly, which worked really well. Um, so that's there. Star Destroyer hyperspace. Uh yeah, there's there's a there's a thing where people go, well, why don't the Star Destroyers not the one that's tracking the rebels. Why don't the other star destroyers jump ahead of the fleet, then uh, come back in so they're closer? Why don't they do that? So like, well, it wouldn't work. Why not? Well, because PV Aid Edmondson, when the film starts, they specifically set up the parameters of how this chase is going to work. And what PV explains, I love Aid, that Aid Edmondson is in it. By the way. I saw I saw somebody right. tweet um, uh, in response to um, um, I might have been BBC Comedy uh, who said who tweeted saying like so many great British comedy actors in this uh, in the Last Jedi uh, tweeted some pictures and of course Aidan Edmondson was in there and yeah. somebody who'd seen the movie said what where where was Aidan Edmondson like uh, he probably didn't notice him because he was right in front of the camera delivering all those lines yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. you almost don't uh, notice him the first time it's really strange 
I know. I'm a huge fan. I noticed him straight away. I, I love him too. I didn't pick up on it. Oh, really? Yeah, so for me, watching it a second time, I get to see Aid Edmondson in it, and he's wonderful. And by the way, there there is a thing running throughout the film that I loved that no one is giving real credit for, which is whenever someone does something that's a little too silly, someone in the background just responds beautifully with a silent gesture. For example, at the end of the film, when the rebel tastes the floor and goes, salt, right? That's a clear setup to show how the red thing works. Explain that. There's a rebel soldier right next to him who just does this look of, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Why are you tasting the floor? Right? It's a perfect moment. Uh, There's another moment where um, Hux, uh, Kylo Ren orders the guy's like shoot on that like do that you know he gives them an order and then Hux reiterates the same order he just yells it like tell them and everyone just looks at Hux as he does it like why I've, I've already said it you don't have to repeat everything I say uh, and then of course Aid Edmondson gets a brilliant one where uh, after they escape uh, they they get a message going Snoke is wants to speak with you and when, as soon as they say Snoke wants to speak with you Aid Edmondson rolls his eyes in such boredom it's beautiful <laughs> so oh yeah he's calling again for you you're such a loser I, hate. <laughs> I, I love I love Aid Edmondson anyway he explains at the beginning of the film the nature of the setup and what he explains very clearly is the rebel ships are faster and more maneuverable that's why when the Star Destroyers jumped in the rebels were able to immediately move out of effective range of their missiles. So simply jumping in elsewhere won't change that. They'll still be faster, right? Yeah. The only thing it would change is that the rebels couldn't go to crate, okay? But they have no idea about crate. See, the reason you would actually do the jump ahead is you block them off from actually reaching crate. Yeah, but the Empire, well, the First don't Order, know. don't know about this. Yeah. So why would they do that, right? So they shouldn't. It makes perfect sense. Also, uh, the other thing he explains is to do with the nature of the missiles. Uh, one of the questions that people had was, why is it that the transports can be shot uh, from that distance? Uh, the the transports they're escaping can yeah. be blown up, whereas they the Rebel transports close and they can't blow that up. And the answer is, P, um, PV explains this very clearly. He explains that they are. it's not that they're too far away to get shot, it's that they're too far away for the missiles to have an effect on the shields. Okay? And so Huck says, well, keep bombarding them to demoralize them. And every single scene, they're being bombed. They're never not being bombed. Right? So, um, so it's very clear that in the film that um, they're constantly being bombed. And so Poe later explains that these transports don't have shields. So it's not that so it's not a distance problem in terms of being able to reach them. It's a question of how effective are the missiles at that distance. They have no shields to protect them, therefore they're sitting ducks. That's the whole point. So they make it very clear. Um, and again, these are it's 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 two lines of dialogue. You miss them, the whole setup of the film is gone, right? Yeah. But it's actually specifically ex- it's explicitly and stated I I- on the text. So it's not something that you can complain is a plot hole. This list as well is not exhaustive of the no, no, no. plot hole criticisms, is it? No, no, no. Because no. as I say, some of them are really pedantic. Yeah. But th- this is not... Pe- By the way, that this isn't this pedantic. Isn't this, this is actually like um, uh, internally consistent logic. Why is it if missiles can't blow up the rebel transport, can they blow up those ones? It's like, because it's an effective range issue to do with shields. Yeah. 
the variable transports don't have shields, therefore... The point is, if it wasn't addressed, it would be a plot hole. But right. they address it. Exactly, and that would... But if but since it's been addressed, if you didn't pick up on the plot hole... Sorry, if you if you pick up on the plot hole, uh, but it's been a bit addressed, that means you missed something. Why did you miss something? Because the film is quite dense. Yeah, I was going to say, and all of this is an example of the yeah. point we started with, which was that this is a really, really dense work. Yeah, and and one of the other things that's dense when you have something that's <clears> dense <throat> is you miss setups too. Yeah. And so there's some lovely setups in the film. Uh, one of them, uh, we talk about the big fight at the end with Kylo Ren and Luke. Yeah. They set up uh, that Luke can do this, this force projection. Snoke very clearly, uh, not Snoke, but Kylo Ren specifically states, uh, you couldn't do this without killing yourself. Someone else is bridging our minds, etc., 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 right? Um, and so uh, you know full well that this works. This is just an extrapolation of what we've already seen in the Star Wars films. Also, yes, um, the for me, the Carrie Fisher, um, Mary Poppins yeah. moment is so big that I feel it helps set this ending up as well. Yeah. In my head, if you if you remove the the um the layer uh using the force to get back on the ship. Yeah. Um then this becomes a ludicrous show of force power at the end of the movie which I feel would would possibly seem cheap. Ooh, yeah, it could feel like a day of sex. Yeah, but because you've already seen it because it's And also Snoke quite, is really powerful. Right. Because you've seen uh, Snoke yeah. bridging two minds, you've yeah. seen um, Princess Leia using it in right. such a powerful way that I, it really sits well with yeah. me. Yeah, and you also through. know that uh, Luke is this powerful, and one of the reasons that he hasn't done anything is because he cut himself off from the Force, yeah. which is why he doesn't know Han is dead, and so on. He's yeah. cut himself off, right? Yeah. So it's it's all set up, and also uh, what's also a really lovely setup, uh, the one that people recognise, so you can talk about this as well, is all the setups that Luke is a force projection. Uh, yeah. Yep. Like he doesn't leave footprints in the salt. Yeah, doesn't leave footprints in the salt. His beard and hair have gone back to the uh, same, actually, as in the flashback. Like, that's yep. how old he is. Yep. He's he's now again... Uh, he's this, It looks like he's the same age as he was when he was Kylo's right. master. Yeah. Um, or Ben's master. Um uh, he, this is my favourite. He winks at three PO. Yeah. He winks at three PO because three PO is a droid. The droid would be able to tell that he were a ghost. Yeah. And not really there. Yeah. Um, I think is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, how did he get into the base? How did he get into the base? I mean, these are the things. These are things. As I was watching it the first time, I thought that's a plot hole. Like, how did he get in the base? Yeah. And how's he gotten there? So yeah, quickly and all, the, and, and, and you actually, just don't piece it together until it's too late. No. And you go, ah. And the so, and when you notice the footprints or the fact he doesn't leave footprints, because, like, there's a shot of Kylo dragging his feet, and he deliberately leaves red lines, and yeah. it's just so well shot. But you never get the same shot with no. with Luke, but his feet are clearly there. And, and then you cl- do get the exact same shot of Luke moving his foot in exactly the same way and it leaves no no mark. Really? Exactly the I same shot. I thought it shot. was slightly longer. I thought it was a no, full... No, you get, uh, you get the same shot, shot but really? it doesn't leave a mark. And in your mind, you think it's because he's so light on his feet or whatever. I didn't I didn't even notice if, it. That's if you I, notice it. If you right? notice it, yeah. But you, you just don't pick up on it. You don't, you don't address it. And, yeah. um, uh, and also another nice setup that they did, which... Oh, I, sorry, I have to on. say as well. So the second time I watched it, I took Hannah... Um, uh, my wife and I, <laughs> I knew when the ghost bit came at the end. I knew exactly what she would say, and I asked her afterwards, and she really enjoyed it. Um, 
and uh, we were talking about this moment. I said, what, what did you think? And she said, yeah, I knew something was up. I, his hair was different. <laughs> I, was, I, just, I <laughs> yeah. knew that would be the thing yeah. that, tri- that that clicked her onto yeah. something being up. I noticed the hair was different too. I'm like, did he cut his hair before coming? What's going on, right? I, I, I yeah, I just didn't see. I, I didn't see that was the answer. I loved it, and um, and also another thing that I really liked as the setup was um, the fact that his little duel that he has with Ray on the on Achtu. His choreography is the same as it is when he's with Kylo Ren, except nowhere near as athletic. Thus setting up, like, why is he so much better now? That's perfect. Yeah, it's exa- he, does, he does the feint, he does this, he does that, and then he does this, and it's the same thing. So, again, much like when we did the Batman v Superman one, it's kind of just showing that this film has things in it that people don't pick up unless you watch it a second time. So if you didn't like it or it didn't grab you, or you felt it was a bit sprawling, or whatever, it's probably just worth a second watch. It's possible. Uh, yeah, because... It's also... It's better to like a thing than to hate it. Yeah, it's all, it, it also just might well be a tasting. Because yeah. this is so different, it's totally okay to not like it. Yeah, yeah, that, no, like, no. we're not, I'm, yeah, it's not, that's not and that's not direct to the, the listeners, yeah, I know our listeners are more discerning, well, it's no, the people I, I know, go, I know, I have some friends who don't like, who didn't really enjoy it that much, and they, they, some of their criticisms were this, and I'm like, well, you know, I've watched it a second time, and I'm like, a lot of your criticisms are dress, addressed in the film, so it's not a problem with the film, it's a problem with you, as it were, and if that's the case, you might want to consider if you really want to just be the person who just doesn't like it for that reason, because it's pretty cool. And it's 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 just one of those things where again I, I feel like um, it's a bit like when people don't like the Coen Brothers or something. There's just this sense of like you're you don't like the film not because of what the film is, but because of something in your imagination about it, which is not entirely fair. Yeah, but I, I, I guess yeah. the the point I was making in, is that because this is such a dense work and compared to really all of the other yeah. Star Wars movies, perhaps with the exception of Rogue One. Yeah. Um, it, it is so vastly, vastly different in nature. Yes, it's that it, actually, you know, people don't want that from a Star Wars movie. It, it actually, so they won't give it a second view, and also that's okay. I was it's, thinking it's very much a Ryan Johnson Star Wars film. Yeah, yeah do yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's very much that in the same way that I guess the Force Awakens is very much an Abrams Star yeah. Wars film. Um, it, the, the, these directors have have put their their stamp on it. Uh, Okay, uh, the last uh, setup, by the way, um, that's example w- of good setup. Yeah, another great setup that is very sort of uh, clearly expressed that I thought was brilliant. Uh, I mentioned earlier about how you might not have picked up Snoke explaining why Ray is so powerful because you were you were kind of paying attention and waiting for Ray's parents to explain that question. Yeah, and they it's interesting they explain why she's powerful because they know what the answer to the parents is and the parents won't give you the answer so there's a, there's a question there which is why is she so powerful in the force who are her parents and you presume the answer to one is the answer to the other yeah. and the last Jedi saying no those two answers are not linked so they give you the answer to one and then they give you the answer to the other which is her parents are nobodies and this is brilliant because it gives you a huge rush of insight into not as we said it gives you insight into Ray, but also what's excellent is it gives you an insight into Snoke Kylo Ren and the dark side um, Luke says you didn't try to avoid the dark side you ran right to it when she does the meditation yeah. 
And the reason is, and Snoke does this, and Kylo does this, every time someone tries to, the dark side tries to seduce Rey, they give her a promise of answering the question who her parents are. And the reason this is a great thing, like why are the dark side using it, right? And you think, well, what, is she Palpatine's kid or something? Like, yeah. why, why is that? And say, the dark side is using it because she's lying to herself. That's what the dark side is doing. It's playing into her own vanity and ambition and her and all the darkness inside Ray. It's not to do with her bloodline. It's inside her, her selfishness, her desire to be special, all those things. Remember, Luke's teaching her the Force, and the Force is not yours. It's everyone's. It's it's not it's not doesn't belong to people. It's for everyone to use. It's something that binds all of us. And the dark side is going, Ray, you're so special. You're strong with the Force because the Force belongs to you and it's all about you, Ray. Like that. So it plays into this thing, which is also what Ben uh, Solo is doing with Kylo Ren. It's his bloodline. He's going to be the next Vader. And what does Kylo Ren say? Like, We're going to abandon all this. We're going to get rid of the past, get it all one. And so Kylo Ren is the one who frees her from it. And when he does, that's when she becomes light side. Right? She can't go to the dark anymore because the darkness doesn't have power over her because she's accepted who she is. Right? But up until then, every time the dark side tries to get into Rey, it uses her parents. And so when they reveal that her parents are nobody, you get this fantastic insight into this character. It makes perfect sense. It's a really great reveal. Um, that, again, uh, you might have missed the, pa- the, the power of that reveal first time around. Um, um, so, okay, we've gone through plot holes that weren't... Yeah, holes, that were addressed in the uh, thing. That, that were addressed in the movie. And, and key setups that might have been key missed. Key setups that might have been missed. <clears throat> um, there's also a few other really neat little things that we want to talk about. Oh, These yeah. are just cool. Yeah. Uh, so one of them is um, Luke telling Kylo Ren, see you around, kid. Which is a Han Solo line. And Mark Hamill does it with a slight Harrison Ford lilt. And he says it just after he tells Kylo, if you strike me down... I will haunt you for the rest of your life like your father does. And then his last line to Kylo Ren is quoting Han Solo. I think is just great. So Do you think that, kid. I mean, clearly Luke will be back in um, episode 9 as a ghost. Oh, I would hope he'd be a ghost hunt, hunting, uh, haunting Kylo. That would be great. Yeah? That would be so cool. Or, I mean, you well, could... That's something we haven't seen. You could make him a ghost teaching Ray, but I think him being a ghost haunting Kylo Ren would be... It'd be really cool, <laughs> but I doubt it. I doubt we'll see him again. Um, what is one? I it's a question that uh, mm. Bass has posed, and I don't know the answer to. So we're going to get huge insight. Oh, okay. What uh, was this? Why does Finn attack the cannon? Oh, okay. So Finn attacks the. They've got this whole plan where the Death Star mini cannon is going to block the thing, and they go out to fight the cannon, and uh, they're all doing running along the thing. And um, their speeders, and Poe realizes it's not going to work. It's a suicide mission, and he calls it off. And then Finn refuses to call it off. He refuses to let them win. Uh, when they're telling him, he takes off his mic. He does exactly what Poe did at the beginning of the film, and he tries to have his big damn hero moment. And Rose saves him, uh, and almost dies in the process. Why does Finn do this? I don't know. He hasn't learnt Poe's lesson. He wasn't around. Oh, because Finn, he wasn't there. Finn idolizes Poe. <laughs> he idolizes him. Yeah. That's why he went and did the whole crazy Canto bite thing. 
He thinks Poe Dameron is the coolest guy in the world. He loves that guy, right? And Poe loves Finn. The two of them are the big damn hero moments. Remember when they escaped the First Order together? Big damn hero moments. But while Finn was off in the casino doing the big damn hero moment and it failed, he wasn't on the ship learning what Poe did. So when when he comes back and they're working together, who's the one that rallies everyone to do the attack? Finn, not Poe. Finn's the one who rallies them. And then they get in the thing and off they go and Finn's going to do the death the death mission and all that stuff is he hasn't learned. <laughs> he wasn't around to learn it. Neat. So he's still exactly where he was at the beginning of the film. And that's just wonderful because not all the characters progress at the same speed. So that's also why we recognize Poe has come a long way because Poe recognizes <clears throat> this, but Finn, his sort of his hero worshiper hasn't. This is just a great little moment. I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, the Last Jedi restored... And also, by the way, sorry, Finn did have a big damn hero moment. He took out Phasma. Yes. So in his mind, you'd be the big that's damn hero. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the Last Jedi restores nuance to the Force. It does. Right? Uh, before the Force was uh, everything Ray said it was. It's a power some people have. Mm. And it's like, nope, everyone has it. Everyone has this power. Some people are just better at it than others. Some people are trained. Everyone has the power because it's in everything. I forgot. I, yeah. yeah, I said this to you off mic. That's what Yoda well. said, right? Right. I I said this to you off mic. We've had uh, prior to this seven movies. Yeah. Eight, if you include the references in Rogue One, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, and you've I I'd forgotten that the Jedi were a religion. It's yeah. a belief. Yeah. It's not the be all and end all of the force. No. And what this does yeah. is now open it up completely yeah. to nine. Yeah. To bring and back the Jedi are... properly and so on. To either the... bring back the Jedi properly. Yeah. yeah. It's an aspect because the whole point is he says, I'm not going to be the last Jedi. Yeah. There's this whole idea of um, one of the things that the prequels just never really explained. And it's one of the really lovely parts of the original trilogy, <laughs> and something they mention in The Force Awakens is when Han says, listen, kid, I've been from one end of the galaxy to the other and I've never seen anything that makes me believe that there's some sort of mystical force binding everything together, right? Just a load of old hokey religion and luck, kid, right? He doesn't believe it. And you say then, how is that possible when everyone's running around with lightsabers force-lifting things? It's just yeah. ridiculous that he could believe that. And, of course, in The Force Awakens... Han Solo says the light side, the dark, it's true. All of it, right? And it doesn't make sense because you go, hold on, how does, how does no one know about Luke, the legend of Luke? And that still doesn't make sense because everyone knows about Luke. Yeah. Um, but this idea that the, the religious aspect of the Force, that is the unseen part of it, which is the binding of everyone. The religious aspect is not, uh, you don't need to, you know, it's all. It's not not the, all the powers. You know, you don't need to see their identification. Yeah. Lifting rocks, which is what Yoda and Luke both explain. It's not about those things. Yeah. It's about what's binding people. Yeah. And that makes it all the more poignant that Luke has cut himself off from that. Yeah. So, um, so it's it's great because they restore it. it re, 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 re restores this nuance to the Force and creates this more mystical religion. It re, basically it restores the religion. Yes. As you said, it restores yeah. the religious aspect of it. So it's not just um, space wizards. It's more than that. <laughs> Which is why I love the kid, the last shot of the movie, the kid 
yeah. using the force with the broom and why I think it's totally fine yeah. that Ray uses the uh, uses the force prior to being trained yeah. and why the char- uh, why the princess Leia moment is totally totally fine. Yeah. It's because it's not like you're a Jedi, you can use the Force. Yeah. You're not, you the, can't. The, the idea of the training is like you hone those things yeah. so you don't fall to the dark side, yeah. you get more powerful than people who don't know how to train, etc. But it's not like you... But along with the whole bloodline aspect of the prequels, what's happened is this idea that only some people can be Jedi. And in order to be a Jedi, you have to be tested and trained and you have to be trained from birth to be a Jedi and all this stuff, all this stuff. And it's like... Yeah, that's how the prequels have transformed and sort of degraded the Jedi. Yeah. But that's not the Jedi that we heard about in The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And it's not the Jedi that we saw in A New Hope. Remember, in The New Hope, right, uh, Tarkin says to Vader, you are all that's left of their hokey religion. And now thanks to Rogue One, just before he said that, he blew up Jedi, <laughs> right? And, uh, and uh, uh, I think it's General Tag, it's just going like well, this is ridiculous. The four like what was it? Um, Vader says, um, "Don't don't be too proud of this destructive terror. The power of the dark side is nothing. No, sorry, the power of this space station is nothing compared to the power of the dark side of the force." And then Jeltry goes, I, "You know, you're overestimating your ridiculous force." And you go, "And you, I find your lack of faith disturbing." And he does the choke. Right? There was this mysticism to it. Yeah. Uh, and now. Last Jedi has restored that. It's not the only thing it restored, by the way. It also restored uh, Yoda's dimension. Yep. Yoda used to be a cool character. He's this mischievous Muppet who happens to be the wisest Jedi in <laughs> in the galaxy, far, far away. Uh, and then in the prequels, he became a really wise mentor who could jump. Yeah. And it's like, I missed the mischievous Yoda and I didn't realise how much I missed it until Last Jedi when he blows up the tree and starts laughing like oh yeah I missed that dude I miss him <laughs> Skywalker I was like, yeah that's the one the one who beat Skywalker with the cane that's the yeah. guy I miss um, and so uh, having the Muppet Yoda return I think was uh, in the sense of his character, not the pros- not the actual physical thing. Although that was nice. By the way, if you if you listeners, if you don't already, I urge you to follow Frank Oz on uh, really? Twitter. Yeah, he's wonderful. He only recently joined, and I only I, I didn't know this. I only started following him because Mark Hamill tweeted about him oh. and said everybody needs to follow Frank Oz. Uh, he's just he's just so genuine and sweet. Yeah, like, I I, I like I like Mark Hamill because he's so. He's he's like Luke Skywalker no? yeah. in real life. He's just he doesn't care anymore. So like when um, what, he, he, he posted. Do you see what he posted today about the birthday stuff? No. He's like I really I really I I will try and and reply to birthday tweets and stuff, but like to give me more time to post about cute animals and and Joker stuff. Can you just use these? And he posted four pics that are like ready made to be photoshopped, like of him holding up a sign saying Mark Hamill says happy birthday too. And then you can photoshop it. In there. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I, I was thinking more that he takes uh, certain politicians he hates to task. Yes. Like for going, no, 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 I'm Luke Skywalker. And I tell you in canon, Luke Skywalker would hate you. So <laughs> it's just like, Thank you, sir. Uh, but yeah, he's great. So uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah. So the, the Last Jedi. Um, I mean, there's this thing of just like um, yeah, 
when it restores all this stuff to the Star Wars franchise, there's a part of me that, I don't know, I look at The Last Jedi and I genuinely think that it's almost a sort of manifesto by Ryan Johnson, um, who basically had to, was dealt a bum hand. Um, and it's essentially what we said in the last podcast. It is, but this, the difference here is I think what he was trying to do is um, he he's come in and he loves Star Wars and he's come in and he has to... And he goes, Star Wars isn't Star Wars anymore. Mm. Because of the prequels, because of The Force Awakens, it's not Star Wars. I need to bring Star Wars back and at the same time tell something new. Now... Interesting behind-the-scenes thing that happened is this. Uh, Colin Trevorrow, I think that's his name, the director of Jurassic World, They Lucasfilm signed three directors to do episodes 7, 8, and 9. Uh, Abrams was to do 7, Johnson's to do 8, Trevorrow to do 9. Okay? That was the plan. And they signed them on and said, you'll have basically carte blanche, you can do what you want. Okay? Now, what's interesting is they'd already started writing the films before they got the directors. So they had a screenplay by Michael Arndt, who did Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3, before J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan and those guys came into it. Okay, so they had something as a building block to go from. And what I think happened, and what happened was J.J. Abrams, when he came on board, he put the Starkiller stuff in there, or at least he wanted it to be more nostalgic. I don't know if Starkiller was in there or not, but he clearly that's why the film is doing one thing and then stops and then does something else. Okay. Um, and Luke was always, even the earliest drafts, he had vanished. Yeah. He was he was in he was in exile for some reason. So, but we, you know, whatever. Um, uh, and Trevorrow, apparently, according to Mark Hamill, when they would talk about what was going to happen, Trevorrow was really excited because he got to do whatever he wanted. And he and Mark Hamill were on the same page about Luke. And then uh, around the time, just after the director left Han Solo, the Lord and Miller, who did the Lego movie, left Han Solo, Trevorrow soon left episode nine. And people wondering why and so forth. And now it seems to me the reason is obvious. Uh, he wanted Luke. And Luke dies in eight. Okay. And I think what's happened is um, Trevorrow, like these other directors, were asked to do the film and given carte blanche, they were going like, you have, you get to do whatever you want. They had final cut, and Lucasfilm, as soon as they got them on, and start, they started micromanaging, until the point where Trevorrow goes like, I'm not making the film I want to make anymore. They had someone rewrite the work that he'd done, and everything. He's not getting to do the film he wants. Plus, he has to deal with whatever's happened in 7 and 8. And if he doesn't agree with what's happened in 7 and 8, he's stuck with it. So he's left, and Abrams has taken over for him, as far as I'm aware. I think, however, Johnson was too close to be able to do the same thing. And I think Johnson was not happy with the situation he was left with with Episode 7. Because when he came on board, I think Episode 7 was a full film. Uh, I don't think it ended on that cliffhanger at all. And I don't think it had half the nonsense mystery stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if Rey wasn't even a Jedi. Okay? So, again, I don't know. But as far as I can tell from the very first moment where Luke tosses that lightsaber Ryan Johnson is kind of on a mission to restore all the best parts of what was Star Wars and get rid of all this extra crap you know basically I mean he takes the task of the prequels completely 
right? The way the Jedi are handled in the prequels. He basically says that entire thing was a mistake. Here's here's the Yoda you remember. Remember this Yoda? This is the Yoda you're going to deal with. Yeah. Isn't he cool? He's way better. And that Yoda goes, yes, the Jedi are kind of stupid, aren't they? So there's this whole thing of like, the Jedi Order doesn't really work anymore because now that we've seen it, it doesn't work. So I have to re 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 get that working again. I have to pay off all these things that was happening, all all the member berries of Episode Seven. And he basically says, and then uh, literally he has Kylo Ren say, "Let the past die." <laughs> Remember Kylo Ren? It's like I thought you'd be the next Vader. And what does Kylo Ren do after that? Smashes up his helmet. Never tries to be Vader again. Right? Snoke gone. Ray's parents answered. Every, her bloodline doesn't matter. On and on it goes. Like we're, we're starting again. And it seems to me like what Johnson has done is he's basically created the stage for a Star Wars film he wishes he could have made. That's like he's created the Star Wars universe he wanted to be able to tell the type of story he and he felt fans wanted, which was true sequels to the original trilogy, not sequels to the prequels. Yeah. And uh, and these homages and these references and all this stuff. And so, um, uh, so there's a part of me that feels like that's what he was doing, in that sense. Um, simply because um, I, 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 I don't know. I watching that that film a second time, it just felt to me like, yeah, he he was not happy with this, what he was given. Well, we we pointed out in the in the first yeah. podcast we did on this the two iconic things from the used in a particular way in Force Awakens yeah uh, the helmet and the lightsaber what yeah. does he do he smashes Kylo Ren's helmet you never see it again and Luke tosses the lightsaber over his shoulder exactly so if that's not two fingers up at the previous movie I don't know what it is yeah and also um, there's there's some there's some other things as well like um, uh, uh, what would you call it um, uh, oh, I forgot drew blank um, but yeah, it, it just seems to me like uh, he he had to deal with things that he like. I mean, he had to deal with the fact that Han Solo is not in it, mm-hmm. so he can't use Han if he wanted to use Han. Uh, it he he got to use Leia. It seems he got to create restore the characters to who they were at the beginning of the Force Awakens when they were very interesting. Um, but he, you know, he has to. He had to just sort of. I, I feel like he 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 probably just came on board. So I have to deal with all these things. There's actually a oh that was it. There's an interview where he talks about um, someone. He says like you know we could have had Snoke say he was Darth Plagueis, but Ray doesn't know who that is. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. And so there's things where he's been talking about setups that people wish had different payoffs, and he explains to them like the setups. You know we explained this in the first one aren't good enough to give good payoffs to. So you had to come up with something else and you came up with these, I think, ingenious solutions to these problems. So <clears throat> I think, uh, and I'm a bit worried because Abrams is doing episode nine, which suggests um, we're going to get another Force Awakens. And considering I, the backlash to The Last Jedi as well, I feel like, it, uh, I remember when I did the Batman v Superman, I said, you know, there's some really good stuff here and it's a shame if people respond negatively to this because guess what? The company, if, if you're... If fan, see, here's the problem: when criticism is off base, it's there's there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is, and you do the criticism badly. Hollywood is a scared business and micro, full of micromanagers who don't know what they're doing. And guess what? They will react to the things in the wrong way. And um, and uh, with Batman v Superman, what did they do? They did Justice League. They they pushed it forward. They got Joss Whedon on. Uh, and then they kind of slowly turned it into a cartoon 
And while I kind of enjoyed Justice League, um, so much of what made Batman v Superman exciting and interesting doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's gone. And um, with The Last Jedi, I'm worried of the same thing, which was we got this film that was very densely story. It was a great dense story, intelligent, uh, insightful, uh, reinvigorated the franchise, added nuance to it, restored in character without just ignoring what came before, restored the best parts of the franchise, set up something new. And uh, and it really, if you think about it, the end of Episode 8 really feels like it should have been the end of Episode 7. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He, he did all that, and I have a feeling that with the criticism complaining how dare he change things and uh, people uh, loving The Force Awakens, that Episode 9 is just going to be another thing that sets up a third trilogy, a fourth trilogy, beg your pardon, of 10, 11, and 12 or something. And So I'm, I'm a bit... A- worried about that i have a question before we get on to a yes. quick question before we get on to what to yes. learn are you excited for the saga movies oh you mean the Han, Han Solo, Solo. Oh, no, they look, they no look I'm, ex- I'm excited for the Kenobi movie that hasn't been announced that should get <laughs> announced because I really really want Ewan McGregor to have a great I want Ewan McGregor to get his Logan right that's what I want. I want the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan to get a Logan-type <clears throat> film where it's that send-off to the character that we all love but has never really worked. Mm. But we know can. We've got a great actor playing him. It's a great character. We Everyone wants... Like, with Hugh Jackman, everyone wanted just one great Wolverine movie. That's all anyone wanted. And he finally put his foot down. He got it done. Bam, we got Logan. Everyone wants that for Kenobi. Everyone wants just give us... The Ewan McGregor Kenobi film, just give it to us, right? And that's Didn't that's they do that. Yes, the Kenobi movie. They have to. You know what else? I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a film set between six and seven before Mark Hamill's too old to do it. Oh, I see. Why not? Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna do these films that take place outside of the major episodes. The first thing I would do is I'd sit down and go like, okay, do we want Hamill to do something? Like at the height of his prime, before he gets Kylo Ren even. Or just as he has Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren's, you know, part of it. Like give give him a really cool adventure hmm. for the Skywalker legend. Why not? I can't believe you're not excited for the Han Solo movie. I just don't know what it's about. My, my my idea the reason remember I did, the castle around yeah my Linda? my feeling is what excites me about Han Solo movie is um, it's the castle run but in my head the castle run was done by Lando not by Han I still don't know what Han Solo does in the film I'd be more excited for Lando Calrissian does the castle run film and at the end loses it to does Han Lan, did Lan, it, uh, no this is this this isn't a thing that's happened in canon it's a thing I think should be yeah, canon I know, you've said it to me so often now that it's canon yeah, so I, it's going it, to weird me out when it doesn't I happen, genuinely so. think the idea that Han Solo didn't do the Kessel Run but Lando did is such a great little character idea <laughs> for that scene in Mos Eisley it's such a great lie there you Han. go Hollywood if you're listening <laughs> they've already re- it's already filmed dude it's too late but anyway uh, you can reshoot yeah, it's whole true. sequences for me for you yeah uh, but anyway no I'm not that excited because I just don't know what it's about once I know what it's about maybe like Rogue One the premise was in anyway I loved Rogue One's premise from the get go so okay then then what do we learn 
Okay, so here's the thing about density and storytelling, which is um, you learn two things. First of all, as an audience, you should learn that sometimes um, if you don't like something, uh, it, but it's you might it might be worth a second look. Sometimes. Um, and if you do like something, you'll watch it probably a second time anyway. But there's this sort of nuance that comes from multiple view- viewings of something. And, um, and so as an audience member, you know, it's maybe worth before. I mean, I know today critics and everything, this is just how it is. You watch something and you're live tweeting it as it's happening or whatever. But, you know, I just feel like that's just no, it's not, it's not, you don't really enjoy something as much if you're thinking like that. And, um, I just don't think it's very healthy, but as a writer, what's interesting is first of all, to be able to learn how to take notes because sometimes, guess what? People will give you notes and they're just wrong. They just didn't pay attention, right? Because sometimes you ask someone, hey, you give someone your story and you know what? They're in a bad mood. They're just not paying attention. And uh, as a result, they give you all these notes and you sometimes just have to go, maybe, just maybe, my work is not the problem. Maybe they are actually the problem. That's why you want multiple independent readers for your work people who yeah. aren't in the same room together when you're giving the pitch people who are are separated through time <laughs> and space right because then that way if they all react the same way then it's highly improbable that it's uh something other than your work that's generating those responses mm. but if on the other hand um you pitch it to a room of people in one go all it takes is one person to be in a bad mood and then they ruin the everyone else's You've seen people do that. You've you've been to the cinema. You've been at a place where one person didn't like the film, and then suddenly brings everyone else down. Mm. That happens. So it's just one of those things where you have. It, it, it's worth it's worth just paying attention to. You look at Last Jedi. How dense it is. How much can be easily missed because it's one line of dialogue, and if you just lose concentration, that's it, gone. Uh, and how people have responded as a result. And you go, well, really, it's not the film's fault in certain areas. The other thing you could do is you could also think to yourself, hold on, if I'm making something dense, I really do need to pay attention to what needs to be reiterated. Because if something's really key, I might need to... Re- you see, there's this there's this sort of balance between uh, explaining something and then over-explaining it. Mm. Um, and you need to find that balance. And the only way you can find that balance is... <laughs> readers. Um, so... Really, this is what this is about. It's about this whole foray the second time around this film is to explain the relationship between the density of the work and the readers. And I just put it. just put a little asterisk by the by the word readers. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a reader. Also, getting ten people to read your work over and over as you do rewrites is yeah. <clears throat> probably asking a little much of your friends. Um, yeah. But uh, doing the trick where you have a two-page treatment, right? Yeah. Just pitching well, it. Well, yeah, when I say readers, I mean people either you pitch to in person yeah, 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 or yeah. if you've made a film, they watch it, whatever. You know, I, I just use the term basically people to responding be all-inclusive, all not members of the general public who have paid to watch it, but people yeah. who are look, examining your work while you're in the process of making it. Yeah, It's not finished yet. It's not the final draft until you've got, you know until it's done as it were so that's what i mean by reader that's what i mean by that term so this is the thing which is like how many times do you have to explain a key point of exposition before the audience picks it up 
If you explain it too many times, it will piss the audience off. And if you don't explain it enough and they miss it, they'll get pissed off with you. And so you have this question. So you have to draw the line somewhere. And something like The Last Jedi, which is a long film and it's really rich and dense, it just doesn't have time for PV to constantly remind Hux how the hyperspace chase is working. They explain it once with big infographics. That's it. And you know what? I missed it the first time. Mm. And lots of people did. So maybe Ryan Johnson should have put another line in to explain it. I missed... I, I, missed, I don't know. <laughs> I missed the nuance of that. Um, I, did, I didn't miss it. Yes. Um... um I didn't miss the implication that they couldn't therefore gel. I just thought it... I, I it never felt, occurred to me that that would be a tactic because that yeah. seems... I don't know. It seems clunky. It does seem clunky. Not only that, I felt that it was such an obvious thing and no one's bringing it up that clearly yeah. it's not a thing. Yeah. Like, if someone later in the film suggested that, then I'd be like, hey, why didn't you mention that earlier? Yeah. But because no one ever mentioned it, I just felt like... And I thought about it. I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't live on a Star Destroyer. So maybe it makes sense to me, but not to them. They whatever I'm just going to go along with it right that's just the setup I get it you know what Twitter doesn't live on a Star Destroyer but they no. know that that's the missiles thing. Like, don't arc yeah. fast it's just one of those things you just you sit back and you let it go right um, so I don't I don't know um, so again it's just it's just that balancing act of paying attention and being able to read readers basically yeah uh, cool. but yeah anyway so we really liked it and I think that's an interesting thing to to bring up because normally we don't talk about that but it's it's something worth bringing up which is that concept of just um you can't take the you can't take the audience's attention span for granted because audiences just aren't disembodied heads people actually have lives and you're asking for their time you've got to reward it and i think better to go down the deep rich route than to be shallow and nostalgic and empty yeah you know what? Mm. Our podcast was dense today. <laughs> dense and rich and like it was just written by Ryan Johnson. I don't think that's any of... Amazing. This Every, prologue... Amazing. Every word in that sentence was wrong. <laughs> <laughs>